morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all his people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God bless the hearing of his word. Will the children please come up front and have a seat right in this row? <clears throat> Sure. Come on up. Good morning. How's everybody this fine last day of the new, the old year? Are we all ready for a new year? Yeah, I think I'm ready. How many of you have ever gone on a trip? Is there anybody that's never gone on a trip? Okay, good. So. When you go on a trip, how do you know how to get where you're going? GPS. GPS. Yes. Most of us whip out our handy-dandy phone and say, Siri, how do I get to, or Google Maps it, or whatever. But before we had that, how did we know how to get there? We used to have maps. I am a map person. I love maps, and I'm good at folding them back up. <laughs> I, I absolutely love maps. GPS drives me crazy because it tells me how it thinks I should go. But maybe I don't want to go that way. So I like to be able to look and see. Or maybe you might even have a whole big book of maps. These are fun. Fun. They don't make those too much anymore. They're hard to find. Um, so you can look on the map and figure out how to get there. And that's pretty good. Look, see, I can hold it up. <laughs> now, let's say you're not going too far away. Maybe you're just going to go on a hike. So you might have a trail map. And yes, there are trails that you can find the maps for. Or if you're going someplace like Sherbridge Village, they have a map for that, too. Pretty awesome, right? What? 
Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. Now, before we had GPS, and before we had maps, how did people know where to go? Compass. Yes. <laughs> a compass. And a compass always points south? North. North, of course. Of course. So you turn the thing so that it lines up. Red in the shed. Everybody know red in the shed? And that tells you which way is north. The north is that way. So then we can tell which way we're going and how to get there. But before compasses, what did people do? The stars, absolutely. People have been traveling by star for a very long time. Um, they still do a lot of times. A lot of people still travel by the stars. And you know the North Star is always in the north. And it's there all year round. Sometimes the stars kind of rotate around, but the North Star is always there. Yes? Yes, it is an ornament. It was the only star I could find that was handy. Do you have a better one at your house? A light up. I bet yours is way bigger than this one. I know, because I've seen it. So, in our Bible story today, the wise men follow the star. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us whether they were kings or astronomers or magi or whatever. And it doesn't really tell us how many there were. We assume there were three because there were three. The shepherds told the angels, and the angels led them to Jesus. Now, we think there are three because there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but I think there was really a fourth one, but he got eliminated because his gift was fruitcake. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> not my fruitcake. My, my fruitcake came after them. They had the old question, <laughs> gooky one. Anyway, um, but even before the star, how did we know how to find God and how to find Jesus? God gave us his word. He gave us his word. He gave us Jesus. <coughs> And he gave us his word as recorded in the Bible. And everything in this Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, points us to Jesus, to God. And so we don't have to use a GPS or a map, a compass, or even follow the star. We need to follow God's word. And we will find him because he's promised. If we seek him, we will find him. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have indeed given us many ways to reach you. Help us to remember to search for you in the scriptures because you are there on every single page. You are the word and you have given it to us through Jesus. So it's in his name that we pray right now. Amen. been terrified of not clicking this off and having you all hear my horrible singing voice. So it's been a little bit like jumpy with that, but um, I'm really excited to just sit with you and think with you and read God's word today. So 
So would you pray with me as we, as we open it? Lord, we desire to know you. We desire to be here with you in your presence, to look longingly in your face and to drink in your beauty and to rest in your love. So Lord, would you help us to forget everything else and to focus in on you? Help us to set down our distractions, set down and leave behind our self-consciousness or our worries or whatever it is that we brought in with us today. And instead, Lord, help us please to give our full attention to you. And Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe on your word? Even as I'm speaking it out, Lord, would you edit the things that um, I shouldn't be saying and would you instead light up the things that we need to hear? Lord, may you be glorified, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done here and always. In Jesus' name. So uh, I love it when um, you'll see how things have come together, both with Barb and with Practicing Praise, uh, things that I've already been thinking about that I didn't communicate with them, that they actually already stole my thunder, which is awesome because now I can just be done and sit down. So great job, you guys. (laughs) Um, But how many of you guys uh, have been on a road trip before? Anybody? Okay, what do you ask on a road trip? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How many of you have been driving on a road trip when other people have asked you, are we there yet? A couple, couple three? Okay. When I was a kid, my, so my, my parents are split, and uh, one summer my dad's family went, and I went out to Wisconsin because my dad is a big pilot, like he loves planes. And so we went out to Wisconsin from upstate New York to this big air show. And me and my brother were probably, I don't know, like eight and ten or something like this. The perfect age to keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? And my father, whom I love dearly, is not the most patient man. (laughs) And he would say things like, we'll be there today. (laughs) And so I have very fond memories of road tripping and this repeated question of, are we there yet? Um, And I have to wonder if some of the Magi actually were asking that question on their road trip from where they started to go see Jesus. Um, as Barb kind of alluded to, we don't actually think that there were three, only three magi. It's much more likely that it was a collection of people. Um, but I do have to think, like, maybe there was, like, a young magi, I don't know, maybe a magi in training that was like, are we there yet? <laughs> so uh, the title of today's sermon is kind of inspired by a potential young magi who was asking, are we there yet? Um, for those of you who know kind of our, the history Uh, We've been talking, I don't know, over the last year or two even about um, the difference between living in God's kingdom versus living in the empire of the world. We've kind of hit on that question over and over again in different ways. But I have to believe that the Jews at Jesus' time would have been asking that same question. Are we there yet? And maybe especially asking that question of God. Are we there yet? Because if you remember, God had promised the Jews that there would be a king from David's line who would not only rule, but rule with perfect righteousness and justice. And the world that Jesus was born into, as you guys know, as we've been talking about for the last four weeks, was not perfect and was not ruled by justice. In fact, the world that Jesus was born into, the Jews were being oppressed very severely by the Romans. And the Jews weren't the only people that the Romans were oppressing. 
So they would have been justified in asking the question, God, are we there yet? And that's what I want us to kind of think about as we look at this final cast of characters, the Magi. You guys know, if you've been here, that these, these four weeks of Advent, we've been looking at the cast of characters, or almost if you can imagine a stage, like Shakespeare's stage, these groups of actors that God is kind of calling onto the stage to take part in his grand story that he's been telling. What are some of the other characters that we've been introduced to in this last couple of weeks? Anybody remember? You want to shout them out? Yeah, Ray. The shepherds. The shepherds. Okay, who else? Angels. Angels. Who else? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Mary. Joseph. John the Baptist. Okay, so there's a lot of characters that God is kind of (laughs) ushering into this story that he wants to tell. And we've kind of been noticing different ways that God uses to almost invite people into the story. We've seen people have dreams, right? Mary and Joseph each have dreams, but they're separate dreams. Um, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, has a dream. He doesn't believe it, and so he kind of goes mute for a little while. (laughs) Mary does a little bit better job with the dream, um, but she's also younger and all all sorts of other things. But there's there's these invitations that God kind of sends out. There's these almost, if you will, it's almost like God is handing out scripts to the play, to the story that he wants to tell. He needs actors to come into the story. And so today... We're going to look at the Magi. This is our last cast of characters, and then next week we'll do Celebration Sunday, and then after that we'll start a new series. But the Magi is, is our focus for today. Um, and I, I went light. You know me. Sometimes I like to go down the research hole, and you guys are like, Kathleen, wrap it up. It's been three hours. Um, so we went a little bit lighter today. We won't be here for three hours. But I found some interesting things that just helped me kind of imagine what it would have been like um, both to be one of the Magi, but also kind of maybe a little bit of what God was doing in inviting them into his story. So I invite you to kind of think with me as we kind of walk through this. So as Barb kind of alluded to, um, there definitely weren't only three magi. There's probably much more. Um, but we can't, we, our tradition has kind of, through the years, uh, come up with, okay, we think, you know, our, our nativity set in the back has three magi in it, and over time, uh, those kind of, each of those three gentlemen have been associated with the three continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa that was kind of the known world at Jesus' time, um, and uh, also because of the three gifts that they offered. So that's kind of how we got three, even though we don't think it was actually three, right? Um, also, we most likely, uh, most likely these guys weren't kings, like we three kings of Orient are, most likely weren't kings, most likely were uh, wise men or astronomers, if you will. That word magi um, is the word that refers to magicians or astrologers, experts in interpreting dreams. If any of you are thinking of Joseph and his role in Egypt, um, with Pharaoh interpreting a dream, that would have been the same kind of role or same kind of person. Also, same thing with Daniel, in Babylon, like these would have been kind of your court uh, scholars, or it, it kind of bridges scholarship, but also um, stargazing and things like that. So that's that's the kind of role that they would have played, and they most likely came from Persia or Mesopotamia or Arabia. So if you think about it, and you're walking, or you're on camels, or you're on horseback, things like this, you could have taken anywhere from a few weeks to a few months 
to get to Jesus in Bethlehem, right? We're not talking about jumping on the Mass Pike and driving five hours, showing up at my mom's house and be like, all right, feed me. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Also, back in these days, you don't have straight roads, remember? You don't have police or uh, plow crews clearing the way for you, you know, all of these kinds of things. Another thing that's super interesting to note as we read the text really carefully is that when they show up, they show up to Jesus in a house. He's not actually in a stable anymore, right? So I don't want to break Pam's heart. Don't change what you're doing. But our nativity is not correct. <laughs> our nativities, our classic nativities, this is what I do to my mom. Like, guys, pray for my mom. She's a gem, and I just make her life, just I mess with her. Because I'm like, Mom, if you really want an accurate nativity, you've got to wait two years until the Magi show up. She's like, are you crazy? <laughs> so that was, that was two years ago, Pam. That's right, that's right. So this is silly, but this is what I do. Like, I actually... I set up my nativity, and Jesus isn't in it yet. And then through Advent, I have the Magi walking across the living room <laughs> to finally get there. Because you guys, if we read the text, he's not in a stable anymore. The Magi and the shepherds don't show up at the same time. We've, it looks really nice on a Christmas card, but that's actually not what happened. So we know from the text that Jesus was as much as two years old. If you notice in the text, it says the child and his mother Mary. It doesn't say the baby. So my nephew's two. He turned two in, in, at Thanksgiving time. He's opening presents. He's running around crazy. That could have been, Jesus could have been as big as two years old, which is wild to think about. So I want us to kind of fit, fit all of those pieces together, and then I want us to think about the fact, I don't know if you guys have seen this, have run around the Internet. It's the three wise men, and they bring their gifts and then it's the three wiser women who bring casseroles, diapers, and yeah, <laughs> Lorna's laughing and stuff. So that's, that's a fun way to think about it. But I want us to think about these gifts here for a quick minute, and I think this will help us, like, there, there's so much meaning packed in here that I think will help us understand why it was so amazing that God invited the Magi into his story. So these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these were things that people in the ancient world would have automatically thought of as appropriate presents for kings or even gods. So this isn't your typical baby shower. This is what you would give to a king or even to a deity. Now gold, obvious, we know. Frankincense would have been an incense, something that smells really nice. Myrrh is a little bit foreign to us, but it is probably associated or identified with laudanum, which is kind of a, a, an opiate, if you will. Um, it came from an aromatic gum, and you can find it in other parts of the Bible. It's actually used in uh, Esther's story. It's used in the beauty treatments of Queen Esther. Um, but it shows up later in Jesus' story when it is used um, as a painkiller. It's mixed with the wine that's offered to Jesus on the cross when he's, when he's being crucified. And it's also later applied to his body um, as an embalming fluid as, after his death. So we've got these three weird gifts that somebody would offer to a king or a god, but they're shot through with spiritual meaning. And this is why I love um, that Practicing Praise actually sang all of the verses to We Three Kings. Well done, you guys. Because, follow, follow me here, this is crazy. So gold was a symbol of kingship on earth. Okay? Like, gold is for kings. Not for princes, not for dukes. Gold is for kings. 
Frankincense, remember I said it was an incense, was the symbol of a deity. I mean, back in, back in the olden days, even if some of you grew up Catholic from before Vatican II, they would burn incense in churches. Incense is make, meant to make you think of deity or the divine, and myrrh is a symbol of death or mortality. For those of you who are nerds like me, one of our earliest examples of Christian apologetics or explaining the Christian faith um, in an intellectual way comes from 248. It's a, it's a man named Origen, he's one of the church fathers, and he actually um, writes about these three gifts where he says gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. And so this, these three gifts are a microcosm or a mini picture of who Jesus is. He's not just any old king, but he is both God and man in one who's going to usher in a new kind of kingdom. That's why I love that Practicing Praise sang, sang us through all of those verses in We Three Kings. For some of us, that might have felt a little weird because we've never sung all of the verses. But if you, if you notice, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign, king. Frankincense to offer I have, incense owns a deity nigh, prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him, God most high. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume, a life of gathering gloom, sorrow, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. He's got these elements, all three that are being fused together in the person of Jesus. Finally, glorious now, Behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. These three gifts are mapping out Jesus' identity and his mission on earth. I wonder if the Magi knew that. Maybe. So, second question I want us to ask is, what can we learn about the Jesus story or the story God is telling because of these Magi, because the Magi were offered an invitation into the story. What can we learn? And I think I've got two or three things for us to hang on to. One, we can learn that this actually happened. There's something called extra-biblical evidence, which is when somebody writes about something in the Bible, something write, somebody writes about something that's happening in the Bible that's actually not included in the Bible. So, for example, um, whenever we find archaeological evidence, that's like, oh hey, uh, there's actually this this people over this people group called the Hittites, and they really existed, and the Bible said that they existed. It's like, oh, that's what's called extra biblical evidence. What that means is it's actually a proof text to help reinforce that the Bible really happened. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a bedtime story. It's much much more than those things. It's historical fact, right? So what I want to offer to you is that. Because the Magi are included in this story, we have evidence that this star, this, this announcement of this God-king, this God-man-king, actually happened. So get this. Astronomers in China, astronomers in China were watching the skies and noting the same astro astrological star that the Magi were. Check this out. In Faith of Our Fathers, God in China, Dr. Kong, he's a, he's a scholar, quotes from 
astronomy records in the book of the Han Dynasty. Now this is, again, nerdy, don't need to know. But this is from about 206 BC to 220 AD. This is what they wrote. In the second month of the second year, the comet was out of Atar for more than 70 days. It was said, comets appear to signify the old being replaced by the new. Atar, the sun, the moon, and the five stars were in movement. They signify the beginning of a new epoch, the beginning of a new year, a new month, and a new day. The appearance of this comet undoubtedly symbolizes change. The extended appearance of this comet indicates that this is of great importance. Now get this, you guys. The date that they marked when they saw this correlates with about March 9th to about April 6th in 5 BC. This is highly significant because most experts place the, Jesus, the birth date of Jesus to be between 5 and 4 BC. So literally, you've got astronomers in China who have never heard anything about the Jews who are watching the stars, watching the sky. That's part of their normal, their normal situation. And they are noting, hey, something is happening. Something is happening in the world, and it's going to signal significant change. It's crazy. And the Magi are following these same stars that these Chinese astronomers were also noting. They noted the same astrological phenomenon as the Magi, and they interpret it in the same way. A comet is like a broom. This is a quote. A comet is like a broom signaling the sweeping away of evil. This is Dr. David Spencer, um, professor over at Gordon-Conwell, north of Boston. I think it's super interesting to note that when God was inviting the Magi in, he was inviting everyone in. Think about that. The Chinese astronomers were watching the sky and they noted that something was happening. It was a new day, a new epoch. It was a new age, if you will, in the world. They didn't know yet what that meant, but they knew something was up far before any missionaries showed up to tell them what happened. So that's my first, that's my first what can we learn about the Jesus story because of the Magi. Number one, that this actually happened. Number two, we can learn that this story is for everyone. The Gentiles were welcomed into God's story from the very first part of, of it kicking off, from, from Jesus' birth. Matthew is super interesting. This is the account that we read this morning. Matthew, who is um, writing to his primarily Jewish audience, actually bookends his account of Jesus' life with the Magi, who are Gentiles, and the centurion on the cross, who is a Gentile. Both of them highlight this mingling of the earthly and the divine. And finally, the merging of heaven and earth brings a new kind of king. If we were to compare Jesus' reign and Herod's reign, for example, what jumps out at us? The passage Lily read for us, the, the Magi show up to Jerusalem, because if you're going to look for a new king, you go to the capital, right? If we were going to go look for a new governor, I'm going to Boston. I'm not going to Southridge. Like, no offense. <laughs> right? You go to the capital city. And so the Magi show up to Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, where's the new king? Herod's like, what are you talking about? I'm the king. <laughs> and so we've got, this, we've got this contrast between Herod's rule and Herod as a king and the coming king in Jesus. If we were to just play off a couple of those really quick, Herod wasn't Jewish. He was actually um, Edomian, which is like, the, the sort of line of Edom, if you follow that down. And he wasn't 
he didn't inherit the throne. He was appointed king of Judah by the Roman Senate in about 40 BC, so about 40 years previous, 35, 40 years previous. And not only is he just appointed instead of inheriting it, but he uses his power for self-protection and self-promotion. We didn't get into it, um, but in the scene just after what we just read about the Magi, you know, the Magi are warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, and so they, they don't go back to Herod, they go back home by a different route. And the reason for that is because Herod doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to eliminate him. The scene very fo- right next to following it, Herod's going to walk into Bethlehem and he's going to kill all the boys two and under. So he uses his power um, to violently oppose not only the boys in Bethlehem, the next king that could be coming, the rival king, but all, he ends up actually killing a good portion of his own family as well. So you can see how he doesn't use his power to bless and protect other people. He uses it to, to promote himself. By contrast, Jesus isn't appointed a king. He's actually born a king. You notice the, the wise men showing up, and, and they don't just say, hey, this guy's going to be king someday. They show up, and he's already a king. We're, we're recognizing his, his kingship already. <clears throat> Furthermore, Jesus doesn't use his authority and power um, to protect and promote himself. Instead, he gives it away, and he protects other people with it. It's super interesting. If, again, if you want to get super nerdy, look at the, read the whole Gospel of Matthew and look at the way Matthew mirrors the Magi and the gifts that they offer, the worship they offer, the fact that they declare Jesus king with how Rome treats him at the end of his life. The gifts, quote-unquote, that Pilate gives Jesus in whipping him, arresting him, instead of being worshipped or declared as king, the Roman soldiers mock him, hail him as king, and instead of saying, hey, this is the king of the Jews, where can we find the king of the Jews? Pilate has Jesus executed under the banner king of the Jews. And I say all of this just to notice how masterfully Matthew wants us to pick up on the bigger themes that he's playing with. But the funny thing is, the joke's on Rome, because Rome is dead, and Jesus is alive. Here's a quick, couple quick takeaways for us, and then we'll be done. In answer to that question, are we there yet? In some ways, you guys know this, not yet. Because the babies in Bethlehem still died. And Jesus still had to escape to Egypt. It still took him years to grow up. In some ways, I can groan with the people that would have said, God, we don't need a baby. We need, we need a warrior. We don't, we, we don't need to wait 30 years for him to grow up. We need, we need help now. And for some of us, that's where we are too. I, like you guys, I have things that I'm still waiting for. I still have things that I'm groaning over. And I still have things that I'm saying, God, when? Are we there yet? But in another way, absolutely, we are there yet. Because the king has come. And he will sweep away evil by taking it upon himself. By doing away with it in his own body, by carrying it to the cross on his own shoulders, he will destroy sin and death. That's the good news of the incarnation. 
the story God has been telling through all of these cast of characters, that heaven is invading earth, that the good king has come, and in him God has finally reconciled together heaven and earth once again, that the king has come not to condemn the world, but to save it, not to violently squash out opposition out of self-preservation like Herod would, but through giving himself in love to even his enemies that they might be set free. And the good news is that everyone is invited into this story, from unwed pregnant teenagers to foreign Gentiles who don't yet know the name of God. He invites them into this story. He invites them to be the early signpost that something has happened and the world will never be the same. And he offers the same invitation to us. The question now is, will we accept it? Will we let ourselves be drawn into his story, forsaking our own smaller stories? When heavenly things invade earthly things, are we too busy? So caught up in our own agendas, our own to-do lists, our own interests, that we're unaware or even uninterested in God breaking into this world? Or even worse, are we threatened by the heavenly king's rule? So much so that like Herod, we actively oppose and even violently attack the king and his coming, coming kingdom. Or will we, like the magi, drop what we're doing and do unlikely things? Things like following a star into a foreign country, asking where the king is to be born, and finding him fall down and a king we didn't know before our journey began, who, we didn't, who didn't look like us or speak our same language, but who came for us too. I hope so. So may heavenly things constantly inter interrupt our earthly things. And may the kingdom come.